Hey, this is Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith from the National Police Association, and this is the NPA Report. I have a guest with me today, a really, really special guest. She's a, she's a friend of mine. She is someone I've admired for many years, and, uh, and she is uh, recently retired from law enforcement, but she is still doing so much good for our profession. Lieutenant Kim Voss, welcome to the program. Thank you, Betsy, and thank you for those nice words. So tell me, uh, before we get into uh, uh, all kinds of current events, why did you become a cop, Kim? Um, you know, there's a couple of reasons. I grew up in northern Minnesota, and the big thing was the iron mines. And my dad was in the iron mines working there for 38 years. And it just seemed like so many times he was either laid off or he was on strike. And I just thought, I never want to have to deal with that ever again. That it, I mean, it was so uncertain. So I wanted a job where I was never going to get laid off. And it kind of went with who I was at the time because I really hated bullies. And I always stuck up for the kids on the playground. I, you know, did you ever see the movie Miss Congeniality? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, that was me. That totally was me. Yeah. So, I, you know, the combination of not wanting to be laid off and hating bullies. So, Kim, as a law enforcement officer, what kind of assignments did you have? And, and I got to ask you, what was your favorite? Wow. Um, you know what? There's really nothing that I didn't do. I, I, I always gave 110% and I love trying different things. I never, never stayed with one thing all that long because there was always something else that was offered. And, and I always wanted to try something new. So I did a lot of undercover, um, did a lot of, of investigations, was on and off the street throughout the 37 years that I was working. Uh, I really loved working with young people. So did a lot of stuff in the schools. A lot of the extra stuff I did was, was with kids, uh, worked with the NBA and did a lot of NBA junior stuff, um, the NBA CARES program um, over in China and Japan. So I, a lot of really cool things. I've had a lot of opportunities in this career and I've been blessed. So, Kim, let's fast forward now to the night of May 25th, 2020, uh, in the city of Minneapolis, where, again, you've been a police officer your entire career. Talk about that evening, and then let's talk more about that going forward. All right. Uh, May 25th was a game changer for us. I had been working that day. I was trying to get caught up. I was recently... Uh, assigned to the third precinct to run the investigative unit out of there. We would, we would handle property crime stuff, burglaries, auto thefts, theft from autos, that type of thing. And I was trying to get caught up. So I was in there on, on what probably should have been an investigator's day off on the holiday, but it, it's quiet. I'll be in there. I left at around six or seven o'clock that evening and I had known who was all working because I'd seen the ones that were already on and I knew who was coming on and those were buddies of mine because I'd worked with them. And we got a weird cat alert that evening. As a supervisor and at a lieutenant's level, we would get a computer optimated alert for anything big going on. And this one was worded really strange. So I texted um, one of my sergeants that was working dog watch and I said, hey, what's, what do you got going on? Uh, I've got this weird alert. And he, I said, do you, need, do you need help? Should I come in? He said, stay away. It's, it's not good. Don't come in. 
So I just started, I opened my, my work computer and I started looking for what was going on, looking what, what big issue would have been happening and found it right away and just followed it online, um, but knew going into the next day that it was not going to be good. Uh, we had recently come off of another police shooting where the community, the community, um, the peaceful protesters tried to take over our Northside precinct. And that wasn't good. That was a long-term um, kind of somewhat occupation. So I knew going into this and I assumed that anybody else in the leadership position would know what we were looking at with this type of thing happening. Um, the next day, it was horrible. People were outside our, our windows chanting and throwing things at our buildings. And um, I, had to, I had to tape up my windows a couple of times because of stuff being thrown through. So at this point, you know, and of course we're talking about the in custody death of George Floyd. Yes. Um, at this point, are, is the media there? You know, is this, you know, we're starting to see this nationally. Are you seeing the media and some of that going on as well? Yes, the media was circling kind of. Um, and when nobody from our precinct would come out and talk to them, they hit up some of the people, the peaceful protesters that were outside the building. We had to be very careful when we came or went from the building because of these people that were outside. The city started to take some precautions and put Jersey barriers up around our, our precinct and around the parking lot, but uh, they didn't do that great of a job. There were some issues with the barriers they put up. Right, and I, and, and I just wanna say, Kim, did you have anything to do with uh, George Floyd? No, I did not. Did any of your people in that building with you have anything to do with George Floyd? Um, the four officers that were directly involved in the incident itself were assigned to our precinct, yes. Right, right. But were they in the building while people are throwing things at it no. and all of that? No, so, they were not. They were already relieved of duty at that point. Okay, so now you guys are having to deal with these, uh, and again, we say peaceful protesters, um, but we say that tongue in cheek, right? Because let's just be honest. And there were peaceful protesters. There were a but, lot of peaceful protesters, but once it got dark out, usually those people were gone. Right. And then when did the looting begin? You know, a lot of it is still kind of messed up in my head, uh, the timelines. But the Thursday night when our precinct went down, um, Actually, I'll go back even further. So Wednesday, I had been in contact with all, and I, I refer to them as my guys. They're our old dog watch shift, the overnight guys, because that had been the shift I had been on prior to this. Um, I would stay in close contact with them throughout the night to make sure they were safe. Uh, everything sounded good. I was supposed to be assigned with my investigators to assist the fire department, because at this point then, fires were starting and the fire department wasn't safe. People were even going after them, which struck me as a little odd because everybody loves a fireman. <laughs> they don't like cops. Exactly. But so we had to keep their back, but there was three of us assigned to an entire, you know, 
huge load of firemen. We couldn't keep them safe. So we ended up hunkering down in their fire station instead. Um, but I, the Thursday morning when all of this happened, start was starting to happen. I met with my dog watch guys and they had said, um, they're gonna give the precinct up. And I said, why would they do that? That's stupid. It's not that great of a building, but it's, that'd be stupid. Nope, nope, that's what the rumor is. They're giving the, the building up. So that was probably about four in the morning on Thursday morning. And then later that, that afternoon, I went to the inspector and I said, hey, you know, dog watch and everybody is saying that you guys are giving up the precinct tonight. And he went ballistic on me and said, no way, that's not happening. You got to stop that rumor immediately. You're a leader. You have to stop that. But okay, I'm just letting you know what people are saying. Um, and it was about a half hour later that they came to us and said, you need to get everything out of the building that you, that, that you treasure. Any personal property, pictures of your kids, uh, any addresses that would have your home address on it, you need to get all that stuff out. So it got a little crazy there for a while because we, we were told that we had to be out of that building by two in the afternoon on the night, the day that it went down. What was happening around you while you're packing up pictures of your kids and your personal belongings in your office? What, what is happening outside around that building? It was crazy. The whole atmosphere was weird because you could hear the chanting and you could hear the drums. And I mean, it was just, it was loud. And, you know, I had already cleaned up the glass from when it, my windows got broken out again. Um, went in a couple of the other offices next to me and cleaned up the glass in there and put plastic over their windows. I know now that was silly. We didn't need that. But I mean, that's just what you do. And it, you know, I called my husband and I said, uh, my husband is a retired police officer from Minneapolis. And I said, honey, you got to get over here with car and grab my stuff. He was smart enough to put duct tape over our personal vehicle plates. Um, because by that time, then the, the, I'm just referring them to them as trolls. The trolls were out videotaping everybody coming and going and, and reciting license numbers off of vehicles of people coming and going from the precinct. So we got all of my personal belongings, saved my Keurig, um, got all that into the car and he took off then with it. Um, I went up to our special operations center where we were bringing all as much equipment from, from the precinct that we could. We also, in that precinct, we housed our police museum. So we had a lot of artifacts um, old weapons and old uniforms that, that had to come out. Um, I know we did try to save as many computers as possible. I don't know that we got everything out of there. There was a lot of equipment in there. It was just a ton of equipment. A lot. This, this just sounds like a, like a movie. It, 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 I, and, and I know that people, you know, of course we all saw the riots live, but you know, you were right there in the middle of it with, you know, many, many, many hundreds of other Minneapolis police officers and police officers from uh, other jurisdictions. And, uh, and, and your precinct, the third precinct eventually was burned by the protesters, right? Yep, it was. Um, I had stayed at the special operations center and was told at about probably around six or seven o'clock that evening 
to, to go home because I had started at about four in the morning. Uh, I went home and I ended up watching it on TV and it was horrible. It was devastating to see my brothers and sisters run for their lives from that building. Right. And what, what do you think management was hoping to accomplish by allowing the third precinct to burn? I'm not really sure. You know, common sense would tell you that, that by giving something like that up will only empower those people. And that's exactly what it did. It literally and physically fueled the flames of those riots. I, I really believe that if leadership would have taken a stand and held fast on that, that we probably would not have seen as much damage in the neighborhoods. You know what cops are like. You tell us what to do, we'll do it. You want us to go and stop a riot? We'll stop a riot. Right, right. These were not um, people exercising their First Amendment rights. These were people that were burning, that were looting, that were trying to hurt cops. They were saying they were going to hurt cops. Yep. They destroyed businesses, not just the third precinct. Um, right. I, you know, they, I know that they, they destroyed businesses, not just with looting, but with fires. Um, I know that they uh, darn near succeeded in burning down a nursing home. Is that correct? Is that right? Uh, a brand new, also a brand new uh, low-income housing that was going across the street from us. You know, the Target, the big grocery stores, there's two grocery stores across the street from us. Everything burned. It, that's, it's absolutely crazy. You know, and what a lot of people don't know is with my investigative unit, what, what we were looking at, we didn't have a lot of time. I wish we would have had much more manpower than we did. But we did recover a lot of stolen vehicles that were dumped around the precinct. And I was a little surprised. A lot of them came out of Ohio. So what that tells me is there is some faction in Ohio that is got something against the police. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, the 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 riots eventually abated and actually you ended up the city of Minneapolis ended up with a George Floyd Square and kind of an occupied zone there. And uh, and you as a police lieutenant ended up dealing with the aftermath of all of that. And, and you ultimately made a decision to go ahead and retire, didn't you? I did, I did. Probably the, the toughest decision I ever made. Yeah, you've spent 37 years, you know, you know, the majority of your adult life serving the citizens of Minneapolis. Yes. And, and I know you're not the only one who uh, decided to retire, right? You, you guys, your retirements um, are, are way up. Um, you have uh, many officers who are applying for and getting post-traumatic stress disability. You had officers injured in the riots, didn't you? Physically injured. We did. We had, we had one SWAT van that somebody had shot into it and there by the grace of God, nobody was hit. The, the bullet literally ricocheted around the inside of the SWAT van and nobody got hit. And I don't know how that happened. We didn't Right. And so, so here you are, you decide to go ahead and retire, even though you weren't really, you weren't really ready to do that. No. Um, but one of your uh, many things that you've been involved in uh, as a police officer is you've been involved in training. And so now 
you're taking this message of uh, police officers who have it dealt with, not just the riots like you have dealt with and your colleagues have dealt with and, and our brothers and sisters around the country have dealt with for the past, you know, 18 or, you know, 16 months. Um, but also all of the things that police officers see from, you know, dead kids to uh, just every horrific thing you can, a human being can do to another human being. That's what cops see. Um, yep. You're taking all of that experience and you're trying to not only help yourself, but mostly what you're doing is helping other police officers, aren't you? Let's talk about that. Well, I've found that, that by talking about it, that's kind of my way of, of helping myself if I can help others. Uh, it's what I did after the, the 35W bridge collapse when I had a very pivotal role in working with all the victims that were on that bridge. Um, so I, I'm trying to bring the message about, and I'll tell you when it really hit me. After, after the January 6th insurgents at the Capitol in Washington, I, I had a friend over, I, I escaped. I escaped to another state and this friend came over for dinner in this other state and she had said, geez, I, I, did you see the news? The second officer from Washington DC committed suicide. I lost it. I, there by the grace of God, we have not knocked on any kind of wood I can find, um, had anybody in our department commit suicide. And I, I hope to God that anybody that listens to this will reach out to me if if they're feeling that way, because that's a huge deal for absolutely officers to be at that breaking point. That is such a huge deal. And I know how it can happen. I've been suffering from PTSD. I, I hold up. I totally hid away for after I left the department in August and stayed in this other state and didn't talk to anybody, didn't see anybody. Um, would only go out at night. Uh, but that really in January made me realize that we can't do that. You know, one of the things that I think kept all of us in Minneapolis safe is so many of us were affected by this that we would openly talk about it. And talking, I think, is what saved us. Everybody talked. In fact, I had one gal come up to me and she's like, LT, did you ever think in your over 30 years that, that we would all be sitting around talking about this stuff? And I said, no, never. I, who would? This was all the unspoken stuff before. You know, they suck it up buttercup moments. But this is, it's, it's serious. It's very well, serious. And one of the things that you did, and I think, I think what you did helped hundreds of officers is, is you not only talked about it, but you're a really good writer you wrote a letter to the editor about what it felt like when you know during the riots and your your letter was so well done and it was so visceral that um, I think it really helped citizens and other police officers relate talk about that letter thank you thank you for that um, it, it was from the heart it, I wrote that the same night that the friend was over for dinner. And it just, 
I, I, I knew going into it that there were a couple of things that people were going to react very strongly to, um, merely by my mentioning the word Trump and warriors. I knew that those, and even my husband, when he profited, he went, well, wait a minute. And I said, nope, those are staying in. I'm not moving those. And, and it was that, you know, the, the people that complained and called me a whiny baby, uh, you know, that's what they were complaining about, that I should refer to Trump and Trump needs to take, it, yeah, no, it's a leadership thing. And it's not, it's not at Trump's level of leadership. It's at, it's at the level of being the leader of a police department, whether that be Washington, D.C., whether that be Minneapolis, New York, Chicago, any one of them. You have to anticipate what's going to happen. How did that happen in Washington? How did they not see and not remember what happened in Minneapolis and act on that? They had the intel. They needed to, to act on that. I, the blood of those officers is directly on that leadership, I feel. Kim, you are absolutely right. And, and uh, you have shared so much insight with us today. Um, I'm going to have to have you back because we have so much more to talk about. Uh, Lieutenant Kim Boss, thanks for taking the time. And we'll, we'll hear more from you again. And if you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife on the ground. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.